You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hey friends, before the next episode, I wanted to share a bit more about my virtual recovery community called The Recovery Collective. For less than a cost of one therapy session per month, our members get access to workshops, group coaching with me, cook-alongs, yoga, recipes, meditations, and even a private Facebook community. It is seriously the most fun community in the eating disorder recovery world right now. If your eating disorder is making you feel isolated and alone, this place will lift your spirits and bring you the connection you're looking for. So I ask you to join all of us. Go to recoverycollective.mykajabi.com or you can check out the link in the show notes. I look forward to seeing you inside the collective and enjoy this next episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. I am just super excited today, as always, to have you here. We are going to be talking about a subject that is super important to talk about because as a eating disorder community, we have to call ourselves out on this. And this is the subject of fat phobia. As someone who's recovered from an eating disorder and as someone who coaches people with eating disorders, it's really important for us to have the self-awareness to confront our own fears of, of weight gain and also fears of being subjected to weight stigma and how we have used our eating disorders to stay safe in a very fat phobic world. And before I go any further into this conversation, I really do want to acknowledge my privilege here because I am living in a thin body. And when I had my eating disorder, I recovered into a thinner body and I have more privilege than anyone who weighs more than me. And this is due to the fact that the world does not treat everybody living in various sized bodies the same. This is not a shock in the slightest because we can see fat phobia everywhere. So before I dive into that, let's get a universal definition of what fat phobia actually is. The best definition I could find for the term fat phobia is simply the fear and or hatred of fat bodies 
that perpetuates negative stereotypes that extend discrimination against the majority of bodies within the United States. And when you think about it, in our world, extremely thin bodies are highly represented in the media and praised. And those don't even represent the average body in the United States. So when we are praising these thin bodies, we are inherently shaming larger bodies. And that is what helps to create fat phobia within our society and within the world. What also perpetuates fat phobia in our society today is weight stigma, which basically means that people in larger bodies are stigmatized in a negative light. So we've all seen this before in the media, which is so heartbreaking, but those with larger bodies are considered lazy or unathletic or unambitious or sloppy or unhealthy when in reality, this might not be true about that person at all. But somewhere along the line, the media has created this stigma that has been imprinted on many of our psyches. So we have this visceral reaction to gaining weight ourselves. And that's because we are afraid of being put in that category. And like I said, it takes a lot of work to dismantle the stigma within our own minds. And that's what I want to talk about today. I'm going to first talk about my own experience with fat phobia when I was in the height of my eating disorder. So back in the day, there was a time I gave all of my power to food in order to lose weight. And I was terrified of weight gain and obsessed with the number on the scale. And I really connected my value to my size. I counted calories like my life depended on it and I found myself preoccupied with food all the time. I really scrutinized every single inch of my body and I even noticed personal weight gain and even tiny amounts of weight gain in other people. So I was also scrutinizing the bodies of my friends and family members and whenever I noticed someone would gain weight, I would feel like they were a failure or they let themselves go or they did something wrong. And of course I thought those things about myself when I would gain weight as well. Looking back at all those thoughts and all those fears that I had around the size of my body, I can own up to the fact that I was extremely fat phobic and I feared weight gain. I also had a negative perception of larger bodied people in general. The word fat made me really, really uncomfortable. And I bought into all of those terrible stereotypes about health and equating health to thinness. So here's the thing. I was not consciously walking around spewing insults to fat people. And if you asked me if I was fat phobic back then, I would have said, absolutely not. That's a horrible thing to be. I treat everyone equally. I'm not going around cracking fat jokes or intentionally shaming people for their body shape and size. So when I was in the thick of my eating disorder and also just when I was younger, 
I did not think I was perpetuating to this problem at all, but I know for a fact now, several years after recovery, I was totally upholding the weight stigma that is out in the world. And I can know this for sure because I was actively supporting diet culture. And by doing so, I was supporting the oppression of larger bodied people. I'm just going to call out everyone listening right now. Let's just stop pretending. If you are actively trying to lose weight for appearance purposes, there is a part of you that is a little fat phobic. And as what my friend Reagan Chastain would say, that is no galloping shock. You're not a bad person for wanting to lose weight because we're all taught to fear weight in general. We grew up surrounded by weight stigma and weight discrimination and never really questioned it. Even in our health classes, the obesity epidemic was something our teachers taught us about in health class with the same fearful panic tone as the section about unprotected sex, to be honest. I mean, the word obesity epidemic is horrible because it also perpetuates medical fat phobia, which is rampant in our communities. And the issue with using the word obesity is that it focuses too much on larger bodies rather than the inherent problems surrounding our world, such as income inequality and the food industry and equal access to fresh food. And when we can wake up to the fat phobic beliefs that we are living in, in society, and also become highly aware of the beliefs that we have within ourselves, that is really the first step to making change. So overall, this fear of weight and weight stigma really does oppress a large portion of people in our world. And if you care about social justice and equality, this is something that you really need to start caring about. And when you fill your mind with content and beliefs that support the fat acceptance movement, you will find that you will more easily be able to face the fears of your own weight gain throughout recovery. In order to dismantle fat phobia, we can start by looking for where it shows up within ourselves. So let's get back to the basics here. According to Christy Harrison, an anti-diet dietitian and the creator of the Food Psych podcast, diet culture is a system of beliefs that one, worship thinness and equates it to health and moral virtue, two, promotes weight loss as a means of attaining higher status, three, demonizing ways of eating while elevating others, and four, oppresses people who don't match up with its supposed picture of health. I think it's really important for us to get clear on what diet culture is and what it looks like and know that that fourth point, which I'll repeat again, the fourth point is diet culture oppresses people who don't match up with its supposed picture of health, holds us accountable. If we support diet culture, we're also 
supporting the oppression of people in larger bodies. Now that I'm calling everyone out, including myself, I know there will be a bunch of people stewing in anger at the idea that their diet isn't making them a better person. In fact, you might be coming up with all of these reasons why you adore your healthy lifestyle. Perhaps you hear yourself arguing that you should choose a diet because you value self-improvement and health, and whatever you're thinking has absolutely nothing to do with fat phobia, because of course not, you would never admit to being a fat phobic person. However, by using this particular response to justify your weight loss, you're buying into two of the most dogmatic fat phobic beliefs in diet culture, which tell us size is always an indicator of health and that the smaller you are, the better person you are. So first thing we need to do is notice the subtle ways we are perpetuating the problems. And if you need a few concrete examples, here are some examples of fat phobia that appear harmless to the untrained eye. So I'm going to ask you a few questions and I want you to reflect on your own behaviors and if you've ever done these things before. All of these questions point to small signs of fat phobia that are baked deep down into your unconscious. One, do you typically order the house salad with dressing on the side because you're afraid of the fat content in the french fries? Two, do you usually go to the gym to feel better and have fun or do you go to the gym to work off the extra cookie you had for dinner last night? Do you typically buy the black cardigan, sweater, dress, or pants because someone told you that black is slimming? Do you post before and after photos of your weight loss journey on social media? Do you assume all weight gain is due to laziness and inactivity? Do you turn down dates or social events because you don't feel like your body is where you want it to be right now? Do you suck in your tummy in photos or do you pose with the skinny arm in your photos? And in addition to that, are you photoshopping your photos so that you can look thinner? Next question is, when people refer to themselves as fat, do you immediately try to make them feel better as if they just put themselves down? Next Do you feel pissed at one of your coworkers for ruining all your hard work when they leave a box of cookies in the break room? Do you suggest unsolicited diet plans and workouts to people who have recently gained weight? Do you fear gaining weight because you're afraid people will think you've let yourself go? Do you choose your romantic partners based on size and are you scrutinizing their bodies when you're looking through their dating profile. On top of that, if you found a thin partner who never went to the gym, would you still say you value fitness in a partner? And finally, do you laugh at fat jokes when people around you say them instead of sticking up for people in larger bodies? So chances are you do one or two, maybe all of the things I just said on this list. And if you notice that you do these things, 
You're either consciously or unconsciously participating in diet culture and therefore participating in the oppression of people in larger bodies. And when we bring this back to eating disorder recovery, I know that there are so many people who have eating disorders who are compassionate and kind and understanding and loving people and would never intentionally try to support something that is so harmful. So now that you are aware that these actions can be harmful, indirectly harmful to other people, I just want you to really lean into the side of you that cares about others so that you can be part of the solution and no longer be part of the problem. We do not want to get mad at our bodies. We do not want to get mad at the sizes of other people's bodies. We really want to get mad at the system that has caused fat phobia and also your eating disorder in the first place. I know that eating disorders can be a result of so many things such as trauma, abuse, huge life transitions, giving birth, literally so many things, mental illness, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, dissociative identity disorder, all the things. So eating disorders are a result of a complex array of risk factors. However, your environment is also a huge risk factor to whether or not you developed an eating disorder. And I know when I had my eating disorder, I really rolled my eyes at the idea of media and the beauty industry having a grip on me and having that much control over my behaviors. But looking back, I can probably say that that was a huge factor in the development of my eating disorder, if not the main one. I was so susceptible to my environment and I absorbed all the dangerous messages that the media had put in front of me my entire life. In the collective, just a few weeks ago, we also had the beautiful Aisha Nash speak to us about debunking diet culture. And I really wanted to bring up this semi-harsh reality here that your body size will land where your genetics tell it to be. No matter how hard you try, you really cannot outsmart your body in terms of what its set point is. And also, the more you diet, the more that set point goes up over time. When you are living with an eating disorder and actively trying to live below your set point, this is truly not sustainable because we know that diets do not work. And when you are living below the set point, and so side note, set point is the weight your body is programmed to function optimally and it's determined by factors such as ancestry and genetics and lifestyle not not a ton of lifestyle but a little bit of lifestyle you'll find that when you're below that set point your body's going to work really hard to gain weight so that you can get back to that optimal place And science really supports this. In a content review conducted by the Psychology of Eating, researchers discovered that 
out of all random controlled studies of weight loss programs, the majority of people who lost weight during the initial 12 months of the program regained all but maybe two pounds of the lost weight back within two to five years. And this is why people end up in that cycle of dieting where they're just yo-yoing in weight and it's really a losing battle and you are just setting yourself up for failure by doing that. So what does this tell us? It tells us that diets really promise a false dream and feed off of our hope of a better life, the hope to feel special, the hope to be more attractive. And the sooner we all take that in as a universal truth, the sooner we'll be able to see that diet culture is really a big lie. So my friends, I want to also just make it clear that fat phobia really doesn't come from within it comes from the environment. So if you find yourself struggling to accept your body and the way you eat, it's time to ask yourself, would I be suffering with body dissatisfaction or forcing myself to be vigilant around food if I lived on a deserted island? In other words, if diet culture wasn't constantly breathing down my neck, would I still feel broken? Would I still feel compelled to change my body? I bet you wouldn't. (laughs) Nobody worried about living in a larger body until Western media decided that it was wrong to live in a larger body. And this can be highlighted in a study that took place in Fiji. In 1982, there was a Harvard med school psychologist named Anne E. Becker who traveled to Fiji for a summer of anthropological fieldwork. She observed how the people of Fiji appreciated large, robust bodies. And that is a quote from the study. And these large bodies were a sign of prosperity related to food and abundance and even wealth. And this, of course, was before Western television was introduced to the island. So several years later, in 1998, television, along with Western soap operas and sexy advertisements, had been introduced to the island of Fiji. And with that came a sudden increase of body dissatisfaction. So between the years of 1982 and 1999, the dysmorphic beliefs and the fatphobic beliefs of the Western world had invaded Fiji. By then, 11.3% of adolescents in Fiji reported purging at least once to lose weight. So what does that tell us? It tells us that media and diet culture is what makes us believe we need to change and without it, we probably would be content with the bodies we've been given. Western media and beauty standards have inflicted our minds with a fat phobic plague. And to reiterate, if diet culture didn't exist, would you really want to change the way you look? That's probably no. Why would you want to change the size of your body and go through the hellhole of dieting and over-exercising and pushing your body beyond its limits to fit into a standard that was created by people who don't care about you at all? They just want your money. So... Unlearning diet culture 
is deeply rooted in unrooting your own fat phobias. And this can be a very confusing, painful process. And for me, body acceptance came when I let go of the body standards and ideals that were forced on me from the external world. There was suddenly a point in time in which my food obsession was no longer worth being so thin. I would rather have food freedom than the quote unquote perfect body. And so I gave up my control. I accepted my lack of control around food and I learned to trust my body again and it really felt like learning to walk again. But it's important to note that we all need to accept the fact that when you stop dieting, your body will most likely change. And probably the most difficult part of undieting is accepting that in doing so, you will have to constantly accept a new body over and over again until you reach a set point range that your body naturally wants to exist within. But the good part about this is that when you give yourself permission to gain weight, you give other people permission to do the same. And when you give yourself permission to accept your body, you're giving other people permission to accept theirs. So by taking the act of courage and allowing your body to take up space, you are actually being an activist in a very subtle way you are reclaiming your power and making the world a safer place for other people to be and for other people to live in the bodies that they were meant to have. I truly believe that when you can start seeing your own recovery as a route to helping other people be free in their bodies, that can really motivate you to keep going. I know for me, that was a huge piece of it. And that's a huge piece of why I am doing the work I do now. So if you are living in a thinner body, there are a few things you can do to support those in larger bodies. And I think this is important to add to this podcast. And of course, first thing you should do is talk to your friends in larger bodies about what you can do to make sure that they feel seen, defended, and cared for when moments of fat phobia and weight stigma arrive. For instance, if you're going out to eat with a friend who's living in a larger body who might not fit in the chairs at the restaurant or the booths at the restaurant, go out of your way to make sure your friend is put in a place at the restaurant where they can sit comfortably. So this might be a chair without arms. Also, when you're on airplanes and someone larger bodied is having a hard time fitting into their seat, make sure you challenge the negative comments that are directed towards them, if so, and do what you can to make that person feel comfortable. If there is diet culture talk or weight loss talk happening in the workplace, there are a few things you can do, but I think changing the subject is definitely helpful. And if you do have the courage, bringing up some sort of conversation around fat acceptance and food neutrality 
would be such a badass move. And to be honest, whenever I've done this in the workplace, I see a collective sigh of relief because sometimes nobody's ever been exposed to this sort of thinking before. If you haven't gone out of your way to find the fat acceptance movement or recover from an eating disorder, chances are you haven't been exposed to this way of thinking truly because diet culture is so pervasive. If you are a thin person, it is just really important that you do intervene. And after reading an article on Medium by your fat friend entitled how to support your fat friends as a straight-sized person. She ends with this quote that I want to leave all of you, and that is, the friends I have kept understand that their support doesn't hinge on how they feel, but on how they show up and what actions they take. Each time they speak up against anti-fatness, I catch a glimpse of some glimmering possibility of a kinder, freer future. So I will link this article, which I found really helpful, to the show notes so you can read that yourself. And I hope you really enjoyed this episode, and I hope that it encourages you to really start noticing the fat phobia and anti-fatness that surrounds us. And when you become highly attuned to how this is truly everywhere, I really do believe it becomes easier for you to call out the bullshit and start to make changes in your own life. I just want to leave you guys with the question, what can you do today to help someone in a larger body feel more comfortable and safe in this world? Additionally, I want you to ask yourself, in what ways have you been supporting anti-fatness and how can you start to change your behaviors to align with the fat acceptance movement i will be linking a few resources in the show notes so that you can better do this i want to remind you that i am living in a thinner body so if you really want the best information on how to dismantle fat phobia in the world please go seek out content, articles, and conversations by people who are leading the fat acceptance movement. A few names that I want to throw out there really quick are Reagan Chastain, Virgie Tovar, and Aubrey Gordon, who goes by the pen name, Your Fat Friend. So that is it for now. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something valuable away from today's podcast and I'll see you next week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so that you can always listen to the latest episodes as soon as they're published. 